Welcome to the HR and Hospitality Podcast, where we deal with all things HR-related for hospitality industry leaders of today and tomorrow. Whether you're a student in the field or a seasoned industry professional, we've got fascinating content and business solutions just for you. And now, your host, Dr. Ryan Giffen. Welcome to the HR and Hospitality Podcast. I'm Dr. Giffen, and thanks for joining us on this topic of employee performance management. Let's put yourself in the role of a manager or a supervisor who has direct oversight over an employee for a moment. Let's say one of your employees, his name is Kevin, a 41-year-old whose productivity drops over the past year. Instead of citing specific measurable examples of the decline in his performance review, you know in his performance review in writing that, you know, Kevin doesn't seem to have the energy level like he used to in order to truly succeed in his department. Still, you end up rating Kevin in his performance review as average, the same as last year. Now, this example highlights two of the most common and legally dangerous pitfalls in writing performance reviews. First, evaluating attitude and not performance is what's occurring in this scenario. And second, there's this concept of evaluation inflation, which can put you in a legal predicament late, uh, later on. So let's start with the first one, evaluating attitude and not actually Kevin's performance. When you make vague statements that attack an employee's demeanor, that can be interpreted as some kind of illegal age uh, race, gender, or disability discrimination, anything under the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So to avoid that, you want to ensure that supervisors use concrete job-based examples that can illustrate any criticism. So in this specific example in Kevin's performance, energy level could give him a valid reason to complain about age discrimination because under the ADEA of 1967, if you're over the age of 40, you are in a legally protected class. And because in this scenario in Kevin's performance review, you noted that his energy level has gone down over recent uh, months, that could imply that due to his age, he is slowing down and thus we could potentially see a lawsuit later on. Instead of doing it um, in the sense that we're talking about um, this vague statement, in this case, um, not looking at his performance, having an example such as saying, you know, Kevin has completed three of the five major projects late this quarter and has not contributed one new product idea in six months. That example is a concrete example. It's extremely objective. We have it tracked in terms of his employee personnel file that would show improvement over the past several months. And because of that, that is going to be a more concrete example that will protect you in the long run. So for this reason, the word attitude should never appear in a performance review of any kind or any documentation for that matter. You know, employment lawyers and attorneys um, and courts often see that as a code word for discrimination when you say someone has a poor attitude or a bad attitude that's that's code word 
and things that they will often listen and look for. So that was the first one. We want to evaluate um, their actual performance. Okay, we don't want to, you know, talk about attitude. The second one is known as evaluation inflation. Inflation. Supervisors too often rate mediocre employees as competent. Uh, supervisors might rate um, employees as competent in their performance review, and yet later on we find that they want to terminate that employee. Well, how do you expect to terminate an employee after you just provided them a performance review of competent, average, or excels? It's not going to go over very well. So we need to make sure that when we are rating employees in their performance review that we are absolutely objective and um, critical of their performance, but that we have documentation of such performance. Because what will happen, here's where the problem comes, when an employee is fired for poor performance, yet the history of their reviews are going to tell a different story to the court and to the jury when they subpoena those records. The employee then has supposed proof that the real reason for the firing was something else, maybe even something illegal. And this is what would be deemed as a wrongful termination. A wrongful termination. And listen, most employers throughout the United States, especially in the state of California, are considered at-will employees. They're not in a contractual agreement. And so what I will often hear is, uh, is managers saying, you know, hey, we, we want to fire this person. We're at will. We're at will. Let's get rid of them. Okay, no, that's not how it works. When, when we use at will terminology, we're talking about a contractual agreement. Okay, we're talking about an athlete. We're talking about Mike Trout of the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim who has a contractual agreement to fulfill his obligation of staying with that ball club for X amount of years. That's what we're talking about. That's a contract. He's not an at-will employee. All right, Jimmy Fallon, who has a contract with the network, that's not an at-will employee. That's a contractual agreement. And should he or the network break that contract, as we saw with Jay Leno, there will have to be a consequence to the network by paying them out their full contract. So in the case of employment, we just can't fire people, especially if we're in an at-will employment state or employer. So keep that in mind because they could come back, the employee can come back and simply have a uh, wrongful termination lawsuit that comes your way. So be critical of the employee, observe the employee through objectable data and have documentation that's put into place so that uh, should you be challenged and should those records be subpoenaed, you have something to go off of. You know, some people think that writing and delivering performance reviews is simply a time-consuming task that's required for managers. But listen, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be such a time-consuming task if you are truly, as their leader, managing their performance throughout their career. I can promise that your employees care deeply about what happens in their review. So making it fair, productive, and maybe even motivational should be hugely important for you. 
A performance evaluation, although formal, is considered a permanent document that goes into their personnel file forever. And should that file get subpoenaed or reviewed by a court or by attorneys during a deposition, that becomes permanent record. So this is extremely important for managers or supervisors who have direct oversight of employees' performance. So to show respect and to help employees with their development, you're going to have to become an excellent individual, an excellent manager at creating and delivering such a review. As a leader, many conversations, whether formal or informal, are going to occur. And although those can be classified as challenging and difficult or possibly sensitive, they really don't have to be. Oftentimes, performance review conversations are a great example where there's a lot at stake. You know, your employees might use your guidance to make big career decisions. So how you help them is going to impact several areas. It's going to impact how others view you as their leader, as their coach, as their mentor. That's right. This process is directed at them, but it equally impacts you, their leader. So to manage the review process effectively, think about what is known as process integrity. Give the gravity of these conversations. People people want to believe in this process, and you're going to publish a timeline of events, complete bits of paperwork, and schedule meetings throughout their career, making that schedule of events essentially public, agreed upon, and strictly followed, which is important. So with that, when it comes to performance management, there are several different ways in which we could uh, document their, uh, the employee's performance throughout their career. And, and doing so is going to help you manage that performance for the employee and motivate them and create a culture that is going to cultivate productivity in the workplace and help that employee succeed throughout their career. So with that, how can we make performance appraisals work? And how can we make those performance, uh, that performance management even better? Well, first, let's create alignment. Number one, we create alignment. That's one way we can make appraisals work better. And by alignment, I am, I am asking you to ensure that appraisals are going to mirror organizational culture and your corporate values. Does your appraisal mirror organizational culture and values? Values become real only when the folks at the top become accountable for living up to those values. Once the executive leadership are equally held accountable to those organizational values, trickle-down economics, if you will, will take place, and those values will spread across the organization and thus create more of a culture that is going to cultivate those organizational values. So that's number one. We want to create alignment. Number two, transform best effort cultures to results-driven ones. Setting clear performance expectations mean that people know exactly what it takes to achieve more than meets expectations. 
And managers will stop managing mediocrity and actually start managing and rewarding excellence when we are transforming into a best effort culture to a result-driven culture. Results are what we want to measure. So number two, we transform best effort cultures to results-driven ones. Number three, differentiate performance fairly and objectively. I've been saying that uh, this entire time. Differentiate performance fairly and objectively. Differentiation requires that the appraiser is going to acknowledge that the employee's performance is gradually improving over time. While the majority of employees perform their jobs according to expectations based on their level of experience and seniority, some will far exceed such expectations where others may fall short. So we need to tell the truth. Tell the truth in the performance appraisal. This means that we're going to assess the employee performance and their talent in accordance with clearly delineated standards of performance and in terms of relevant contribution. So that third one is we need to differentiate performance fairly and objectively. Number four, train and reinforce managers assessment and coaching skills. Oftentimes, I have worked with managers who have been promoted into the position, especially in hospitality, where promotions happen quite frequently as a result of a 30% on average turnover rate in the industry. And we promote these young folks into manager roles, and I was one of them when I worked at a hotel, where overnight you become a manager and suddenly you are deemed as one who knows how to manage people. And that just doesn't work. That doesn't work. Thankfully, I was um, going to school and working on a master's in organizational leadership focusing in the area of human resources. So that helped. But most supervisors don't have that luxury. Or even worse, there's no internal training and development program outlined for that employee to help succeed within that organization. So number four, we actually have to train and reinforce managers or supervisors that they're able to um, assess and deliver coaching to employees that are actually effective. So you have to invest in training. Invest in training to ensure that managers have the skill required to lead in the performance management process. This means that all supervisors are all on the same page with respect to how they're rating employees, they're using behavioral terms to describe performance and using the same tools to plan, assess, and actually reward employee performance. That's number four. So in summary, you know, when, when we're looking at employee performance, we want to create a culture in our organizations, a culture of care, like Kempton Hotels and Restaurants has, this sense of care, that we care for our people, we care for the customer, we care for our stakeholders, we care for the community. As much as you care for all of those things, you need to care for your employees so much that you are concerned for their, for their well-being and their performance. Your job, your number one job as a leader in a supervisory capacity 
is to ensure the success of those you oversee. Ensure the success of those you oversee. You are their coach. It is up to you to coach them, to develop them, to motivate them, to help them succeed in the workplace, to help them with their career. That's your job. That's your job as a leader. And if you're not doing that, you shouldn't be in that position because having such authority over a group of people whose minds and lives that you are changing day in and day out for the trajectory of their entire career and their lives are essentially in your hands. They are looking up to you. And if you can't deliver the basic concept of managing their performance and helping them develop as people, as human beings, not only for the organization, but for their own personal well-being, then I'm sorry, you are failing them. You are failing these people that you allegedly oversee. So what are you going to do today? What are you going to do today to ensure that your employees are performing at their top abilities? So with that, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for listening and for taking the time out to help build your own professional careers and continue every single day to help your employees to grow and succeed in the workplace. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Giffen. And remember to continue to inspire your people and business culture through innovation. Thank you for listening to the HR in Hospitality podcast. We hope you picked up some viable info that will enable you to implement solutions within your place in the industry. Also, we'd love to hear from you. If you have an idea of something that you would like discussed or to be a part of the show, email us at info at Also, make sure you subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.